Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 13. That's where we're going to be to, to start out in just a little bit. Uh, we're going to continue to look at the, the question that's, I don't know if you've noticed, really going around the world right now, the question of sort of race and justice and what's the job of the church in light of uh, sort of everything that, that is taking place. And the world's trying to answer these questions for us. And we saw last week, that's not really a great thing to have happen. Uh, and so we sort of, last week, our, our intention was to set the foundation for how to look at any sort of, to, uh, of issue, evaluating anything that, that comes up in our world. What are we supposed to think, whether it's, it's justice or race or, or gender or uh, marriage or really anything that the culture says, this is the newest thing we want to care about. There are two truths that we looked at last week. One is you cannot trust the answers from the world. Okay, so if we're setting the foundation, just a review, don't trust the answers from the world. You, you can't trust what they're selling, right? So, so uh, you can't, you've got to recognize that their point of view on how to handle things is always going to be wrong. The world is always going to be coming from an intention to take captive uh, an intention to deceive that anybody who is by their life rejecting God is not going to come up with an answer that you should listen to. And so that we should be Christians should always have a skeptical eye to anyone that's coming at any issue, uh, that they're not coming at it from, from the Bible. You should, you should be scared of things. You should, you should be scared of the social justice movement. You should be scared of people who say, there's nothing to see here. You should, be, you should have a weary eye towards someone who says black lives matter. You should have a weary eye toward anybody who says all lives matter. You should be looking at them all askance uh, if they're not coming at any of this from the pages of scripture. So the world is not going to come up with any solutions to the world's problems apart from God's word. And so that's the second thing that we saw. So the world is not going to come up with the right answers. The world is going to try to take captive you. uh, And the Bible warns you about not being taken captive by these philosophies, these these things that come from human tradition rather than Christ. Uh, And we saw the second thing is you can't trust the world, but you can trust God and his word. That the Bible is sufficient to answer all of our problems. If you want to know what should the church do, what should Christians do, we don't need to turn to others for their narratives or ideas or anything like that. That The true answer is going to come from God's word. The solution is going to come from the word of God. If, if we think, well, this is something the Bible doesn't address, that's less a deficiency of scripture and more a deficiency of our understanding of scripture because it's there uh, the bible says that as we saw last week god promises that in his god-breathed word is everything you need to do every good work everything you need to do every good work is in his word so if it's something that the church needs to be doing we'll find direction instruction guidance reproof correction all in his word And so that was the foundation that we looked at. That's sort of setting uh, the foundation that we're going to build upon. But now the question becomes, all right, we've got that foundation, but what do we do? Right? So the world has a problem. They're wanting answers and we've got to be doing something, right? Well, the first thing, let me me tell you this. uh, That setting the foundation, that is doing something. 
That is, that is, a, that is a doing something. People, people think that this stuff, this, the first steps are, are like doing nothing. Like last week, that wasn't doing anything, right? That's just getting ready to, to do something. But those are actually what we saw last week, making sure you've got the right foundation. I can't trust the world for answers. I can't trust my Facebook friends. Uh, and you can trust God's word for answers. I can look in scripture, setting that foundation is one of the most important things that you can do. And sadly, they're often the things that don't get done. That we just assume, oh, I, I, oh of course I know that. Of course, right? Or there are things that we just forget to do. Missing these steps, though. Missing those two steps, you can't trust the world. The world is broken. You can't trust, trust Scripture. That's what gets the world into these problems to begin with. How these problems start by people listening to worldliness and not listening, not obeying the scriptures. So when we talk about that, you guys, that we need to believe God, what we saw last week, believing God is not a passive thing. Believing, trusting in God's answers, not listening to the world's answers, that's a battle. Even just taking time to analyze our thoughts, to recognize What is there that comes from the world and what's in my head that comes from scripture? Even stopping to analyze your own, your own thoughts is going to take great effort to break down. Why do I feel this way? Why do I feel like the world needs to be like this? Why do I think that the answer is this? Is it, am I getting those thoughts from scripture or am I getting those thoughts from the world? And I didn't even realize it. That in itself is going to take time and prayer and consideration and will be a battle to unearth things within your own heart. So let's not too quickly think, oh, of course, I've got the foundation right because I'm at church. And uh, so, of course, I'm going to view everything the right way. There are plenty of people who would affirm both of the things that we said last week. And yet be wholeheartedly captive to the world's way of thinking. There are a lot of people who, we, if we'd have said last week and we'd have gone over those two points, we said, yes, yes, yes. But would be held captive by the thoughts of the world as to how you address or what you need to do. So we've established you can't listen to the world. We've established that the only answer comes from God, that that's the source for our answers. That's where we get our talking points, our solutions. So we've got that foundation. I, I know I can't trust the world. I know my answers have to come from God. Now we're going to get into well, what do we do? What sort of actions do we do on top of building that foundation? Uh, But before we get into that, let's pray, and then we'll start to work through the scriptures. Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you for our time to be together, Father. I thank you for our chance to be in your word and to be guided by it. I pray, uh, God, that if there's anything in our hearts uh, that are held captive by the thoughts of this world, that, Father, you would uh, let us see the captivity that comes in not trusting your word for answers, that we would turn to you no no matter the response that we get uh, from the world around us, but that we would trust you and your kingdom. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So when we talk about what do we need to do, today we're going to see that the first step in dealing with anything, any issue that the world is throwing at you, this can be societal issues, This can be issues in your home life. This can be issues with your kids. Any sort of issue, the first step in addressing any problem, especially a problem on a a prevalent societal level, the the first thing we've got to do is preach the gospel. 
the gospel, the, the answer to this world's problems, whatever they may be, is the gospel. And that's not some sort of, of, of platitude, right? It's not just sort of the Christian shoulder shrug, right? That's, the, I, that's kind of how it seemed. Like when we go, well, the answer is the gospel. People act as if we're going, yeah, and it's the way it is, you know? Well, what do we do about this? You know, we got this injustice going on over here, this issue here. What do we do? And when, well, the answer is the gospel. They think we're going like, I'm washing, like we're Pilate, you know, washing our hands of this, you know, the gospel's got to do it. So what do we mean when we say the answer is the gospel? We mean that our job as Christians is to call people to repentance and faith in Christ. That if you want real change, if you want lasting change, if you want meaningful change in this world, God must be at the center of our discussions and our answers, specifically how all of our answers are come in light of God reconciling the world to himself through Jesus Christ. Any answers that we come up with that are not sprouted from that soil will not be meaningful change. They will be answers from the world and they will fail. Or if they succeed in the world's eyes, it will be a failure in God's eyes. And this isn't just convictional. This isn't just saying, I know the answer has to be the gospel. We're going to see that this is very much practical. It's got to affect our actions. We must take the gospel to the problem. Why is that? Because like we saw last week, the world in rejection to God is never going to seek the right answers. The world is never going to seek to answer things the right way. And if it does come up with an answer, like we said, what it creates will only be perverted. It will only be self-seeking ultimately. And in the end, it will, it will be abused and enslaving in its own new way. So when the world comes up with issues on justice or freedom in the end, you know what often happens? They just create a different kind of slavery. When the world wants to talk about justice in the end, they just create a new type of injustice that then has to be demolished by the next generation who looks back and says, you know, that system didn't really work. Uh, and, and that's what scripture has warned us about. The, the world apart from God in Christ is never going to come up with an answer that's going to fix anything. Just create more problems. Now, it might seem like, well, of course, that's where we start. But let me tell you, this is not the answer the world's wanting to hear right now. If you go out and you say, hey, I think I know how to answer this. The answer is the gospel. I mean, we've seen it in Corinthians, right? The world has not changed much since Corinth. The world is still going to see the smell of the gospel as death. They're, they're not going to like it. They're not going to be like, oh, my goodness, thank you, because, you know, this economic socialist answer that we've been coming up with hasn't been working or this conservative fiscal deal over here hasn't been working. So thankfully, uh, we, man, this gospel is what we've been needing. The world will continue to find the gospel to be abhorrent to them. But what's sad is, is it's also not the answer that some Christians are giving. So when I say, look, you've got to give people the gospel, not only is the world not wanting to hear that, but, but there's a temptation. There are a few dangers that we need to be aware of, even in Christians 
in, in what we mean by you've got to give the gospel or the answer is the gospel, there are a couple of prevalent things that you can see in how people are responding. First, like I said, is just to assume the gospel. It's to, the, the gospel is just assumed. So in other words, it becomes sort of a badge behind all that we do, but it's never stated. Right. So, of course, I'm doing it because of the gospel, but I don't talk about the gospel. I, I, I never address it. But, yeah, I know ultimately only God can fix this. But then when I go and talk to people about how to fix it, I never mention God. But I'm assuming that the gospel is driving all that I do. You know, that's that's what we say. I know God does this, but at the same time, we never really end up getting to the gospel. And for some, it's because they never intended to get to the gospel. They know they're supposed to say the gospel is important, but they never actually intend to get to the gospel. There are many, many people, even pastors, addressing situations that we've got going on right now who say, you can't just preach the gospel. And those people who say, look, you can't just preach the gospel to fix this are often the people who stand in their pulpits and never call for repentance on any sin whatsoever. Unless that sin is culturally cool to do so. Now, all of a sudden, this is a sin that they can certainly call out from the pulpit. But all these other sins that the world didn't want them to talk about, well, they didn't talk about. So one danger is to just assume the gospel. The other danger is to think that the gospel is the last thing you bring up. That's the other danger that you see is to sort of the idea that we start changing things. And then like sort of as a. The last stop, all of a sudden, they'll be open to hearing about Jesus when we get society just right and we get everything in the proper order. Then they then their ears will be able to hear these things. We're going to see that although that may be well-intentioned, that's not the example that we see from the Bible. The Bible is clear when when you are faced with injustice in this world. When you're faced with issues that the world is dealing with, with someone lamenting the brokenness of the world, whatever it may be, or dealing with sin in the world, where do you start with people who are mourning? As you're weeping with those who weep, what do you say to them? How do you weep properly with them? How do you mourn with those who mourn? What should be the first words on our lips, not just in your beliefs, but in your practice, the gospel? turning from the world, turning to God by faith in Christ must be the front and center of all our talks, of everything we say. If someone says to you, man, we live, up in, we live in one, let's say, messed up racist society. Let's say they say that. What do you do? Well, you don't start pulling out statistics, either to prove to them that they're right or to prove to them that they're wrong. Right? You don't. I mean, there's no good in going, no, 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 the world's not that bad. Uh, you say, oh, okay, I'm fine. Uh, and there's no benefit in going, yes, you're right. The world is horrible. All right, we agree. See you later. You say, yes, you're right. The world is broken by sin. Everything and everyone infected. And it infects even how we view others made in the image of God. You're exactly right. And is it any surprise then? That that's what's happened when we've all turned away from God and say, hey, but is there a way that God has reconciled us back to himself? When we start shifting the focus off of the world and onto our relationship with God, which has caused the brokenness of this world, then that's when the Lord brings change 
uh, and his kingdom advances. So let's talk about why. Now, why must we do that? Why must the first thing on our lips, the first thing on our lips, the first strokes on our keyboard, right? The first thing that we post on our, on our wall, why must it be the gospel if we really want to help? So today we're going to look at making the gospel the priority. Why must we make the gospel the priority? The first thing that we talk about, not the last thing, or certainly not the thing we never talk about. Why does the gospel need to be the first thing off the lips or on the pages or on the keyboards of Christians? Why? The first thing we'll see is that, well, that's what Jesus did. Good place to start, right? Why do we make the gospel a priority in a broken world? Because that's the example that we see from Christ. Look there in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. What's the first step in addressing a broken world? He said, there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans are worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So here we have Jesus, known to be a fairly compassionate guy, right? Like, I don't think anyone is ever like, Jesus guy's not very compassionate. So you got Jesus compassionate, dealing with an issue of injustice, dealing actually with an issue of racial prejudice, oddly enough. A situation very similar to what we find ourselves in today. Galileans who had been killed by Romans as if their lives did not matter. And when Jesus is told about what happened, Jesus, did you hear? Jesus, did you see the the video on YouTube about what happened to the Galileans? When Jesus is told, what does he say? What is the first things off his lips? Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Does that mean that Jesus didn't think that Galilean lives mattered? Does that mean that Jesus didn't think that Rome had a problem? No. But for Jesus to talk about those things first, to talk about those things before first talking about the gospel would have actually been to avoid the problem and avoid the answer. In fact, instead of addressing the problem with Rome, who did he talk about? The Galileans. He said, do you think, do you think these Galileans are worse? So you've got these Galileans killed. And what does Jesus say? Do you think those Galileans were worse than any of the rest of you? And he says, no, the truth is we all need to repent. We all need to turn away from sin and follow the Lord or we will all likewise perish. Was his response to attack the system? No. Was his response to defend the system and say there's nothing the Galileans needed to be delivered from? No. His response to an event that allowed a whole group of people to be treated like trash, to be killed as if they were nothing, was what? His first response. And really, if you look, the only response we see him giving here, the only response that we know that he gave to the situation is to say, 
What do you do with corrupt, corrupt governments and societies in our world? You repent because the next time the Romans might come for you. That's the answer. He didn't go to the Romans. He went to the Galileans, to the victims. And what did he say to them? This is what sin does. Isn't it horrible? And then ask, is that what in your heart too? And that is so different from how we normally handle these situations. Today, if someone did that, they would be called cold or callous or even be accused of victim blaming. To go up to a situation where Galileans had just been killed and said, do you think you're any better than them? You've got to repent too. Like, what? That message would be shared, but in all the wrong ways on the YouTubes and the Twitters. Because what? The root problem, the root problem for these people in their lives, the root problem wasn't that the Romans were bad. And that the Romans just needed to realize that the Galileans were valuable. That's not the root problem. That wouldn't have solved anything for them. The root problem is that they were all pilots at heart. And until that changed, not only would they find themselves in a world filled with scenes like this, we'll one day find ourselves on the sword of the Romans or even worse, we'll find ourselves out to be the Romans. The greatest need for the Galileans wasn't to have Rome addressed. It was to have sin addressed because Rome can only kill their bodies. Sin will kill their eternity. And that's what they needed to worry about. To focus all day on fixing Rome and never deal with fixing the problem of sin would have left them damned. Alive, but damned. This way, they might die, but they'll live forever. That's the more important thing. Jesus would have been unkind to say, let me get my horse and let's go to Rome and fix this right now. Instead of talking to them about what would have fixed forever for them, the gospel. So it is absolutely appropriate in cases of great societal sin, worse than even what we're dealing with to say, what's the answer? And to say, turn to God, repent or you'll perish too. That is totally appropriate. If you, if, you, if you ask what would Jesus do in that situation, he's shown us what he would do. He would go to the Galileans and say, repent or a worse death will come to you all. We can say that because that's exactly what he did do. And he didn't just stop with that. He continued on in the next verses, right? To show us just how foundational. He, he, he sort of upped the ante to even talk about totally unexplained tragedy. You got a tower that out of nowhere falls and kills folks. And what's Jesus' response to that? Not, well, God didn't have anything to do with this, or God's just up there. You know, he's, he's struggling with this just like you are. Those, are all, those would all be just platitudes, just things meant to comfort people that provide no comfort. His first response, the only response we see again, is what do you do with falling towers in our world? You repent because the next time the tower might come for you. Repent because next time the Romans might come for you and also repent because next time the tower might come for you. So when we ask what would Jesus do in a situation where people are lamenting injustice, where image bearers of God lay slain, if, 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 if we want to say what Jesus said, then repent should be the first thing off our lips. Because it was the first thing out of his mouth. 
And then he made sure that was written in scripture for us to see when you have situations like this. This is how you respond. In the exact same situation is what we're dealing with. But instead, what we often do is say everything other than repent. We try to talk about repent, but do it in a very roundabout way, sort of allude to repentance. That's if we talk about it at all. We talk about everything but the gospel. One group wants to talk about Rome's brokenness and talk about Roman privilege. Another group wants to talk about how the Galileans might have deserved it anyway. All of which would have been true in Jesus' world. But somehow the words turn to God or you'll perish too never make it to our lips. They never grace our social medias. People want to know if it's okay to talk about the need to turn to God. That's what people, is it okay for me to, to, to just give them the gospel? If we're basing our answers on what Jesus did in the text of scripture, I think the real question we would wrestle with is, is it ever okay to do anything else? Because we've got the example of him doing that. And yet somehow that's the one thing we don't do. We don't have an example of him doing the other stuff in that situation. And yet that's the only stuff we do do. But even if that's the only reason that we begin this conversation with the gospel, there's other things as well uh, besides just Jesus did it. We can see also Christ commanded the church to focus on the gospel in dealing with the nations, this lost world. It's what he told the church to do, Matthew 28, 18 through 21. A great commission here, right? Look at, look at what the Great Commission is based on. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So the world belongs to our King. It's his. All authority in heaven and earth has been given him. Christ sits in authority over this broken world. So we don't need to face issues in this world from a position of fear or inferiority. He comes to his disciples. He says, look, I've got all authority in heaven and on earth. So what can you do? You go. You go and you make disciples. And this is so we're the only ones who aren't denying the king. We're the only ones who aren't part of the problem. Because this world belongs to Christ, because this world is his. What do we do? Our mission in the fallen world is to go and make disciples of the nations. Go and share the gospel. You think the world is broken? You think the nations are lost and they're rejecting God? How do you fix that? Take the gospel to them. Take the gospel. You think think America is broken. You think the situation is messed up. What do you do? You go and you make disciples of the nations you command them to obey the words of their king you baptize them in the name of the lord teach them to observe all of god's word and so we're to go to the world and declare this this is what god uh, says in his word and what god says in his word is right and this is what god's word says is wrong this is what christ commands of you and this is his world you need to obey it that's what the christian should do someone kills somebody we say the bible is very clear that you should not murder and if you have murdered you need to be held responsible and it is the job of the government to even kill you uh, for taking someone's life in your hands that's perfectly fine to do it's what you must do why why can we say that because this world is christ's it belongs to him 
That is our message because the only way the world is fixed is for the world to fall in subjection to its king. Because one day he's going to come and every knee is going to bow. And hopefully it will be before the judgment. So Jesus dealt with this broken world by going to the gospel. He gave his people the job of taking the gospel to the lost world. And so then it's not surprising that when you look at the New Testament... What do you see? You see the New Testament, the early church, the church fathers, the apostles. You see them doing just that. Think about the world of the New Testament. You know, we like like to think that we're living in this anomaly that has never happened before, where people are treated unfairly by other people. Like the world was like, I've got a good idea. Let's try this. It's never been tried before. But when you look at the New Testament, you have, think of the, the, the Rome, right? They're living under the Roman Empire. You think antebellum uh, America was bad. Think about, I mean, think about what the world used to be in. So you've got this Roman world. The estimates are that Rome enslaved so many of the people that it conquered, the indigenous peoples that it rooted out. It enslaved all of them, killed them or enslaved them to, to such a point that 50% of the entire Roman Empire was slaves. And that was for a thousand years. A thousand years where half of the people were slaves. Even even at its highest in America, it was 20% of America was slaves. And that, that was just for 200 years. And so we've got something far worse in the Roman Empire, prevalent, it was, and, 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 and just like in the U.S., life of the slave then was a horrible life. It's not like Roman slaves were living the good life. Yet, what do you see in all of the New Testament letters? What do they all start with? Let's talk about the gospel. Let's talk about the gospel. Let's talk about the gospel. I mean, think about Paul's letters to Rome. Paul's letter to the Romans, I mean, it's, it's Romans, right, that he's writing to. If ever there was a chance for these Christians to unite and stop injustice, this would be the letter for Paul to write to Rome and say, hey, you know, let's talk about what's going on. I mean, these would be the people. Some of the people reading the book of Romans would have been slaves. The others would have been, you know, Roman citizens, people with a voice. Yet, what does Paul talk about for the entire first 11 chapters of Romans? The gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, and its impact on our lives and on the world. This isn't to say that Paul didn't care about injustice or that he didn't hate sin or, or anything like that that plagued the world. He hated them, but the answer to all of them is the gospel. To proclaim it to a world that is living in rebellion and to live it in your life and in the life of your children. So why must we preach the gospel in the face of injustice? Why does it have to be the first thing we talk about? Because that's the example we see from Christ. That's the command we get from Christ. That's what we see happening in the New Testament. Proclaiming the gospel is not just a token answer it wasn't a token answer when jesus did it himself when he commanded his disciples to do it when the early church did it and it isn't for us if we think proclaiming the gospel is doing too little then maybe it's our gospel that is too little 
because proclaiming the gospel is what Jesus does and what Jesus calls us to do. Now, now some, they think this jump sort of right off the bat to the gospel can seem weak or unhelpful, uncaring. But actually, if, we, if we're letting the Bible be our guide, it's the first place we have to start. It's the first place we've got to start. It's the example we have. It's a command we're given. But people will say, but we have to do something. That's the problem. If you'll say preach the gospel and someone says, but no, but we've got to do something. That assumes that sharing the gospel, that pointing people to the Lord as the only answer is not doing something. Let me tell you, church, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ is the most doing something you can do. And if you think anything else is really doing something and sharing the gospel isn't doing something, then your gospel is too small. Because it is the gospel that changes the world. Now, how so? Because the things we're pursuing can only come in a lasting way when they come through the gospel. The Bible tells us that the gospel is our only true hope. The gospel is your only hope for any of this. It's true that you can make someone stop something uh, without the gospel. It's true that you can give them a law and tell them to obey it and they will stop it or, or start it. I mean, that's a good thing about what's going on right now. Everyone seems to agree that you can legislate morality. So that argument's out the window. That's all anybody's trying to do. It went from you can't legislate morality to I want to legislate. No, I want to legislate your morality. That's a win for the Lord in that one. So let's look at what the world is crying out for now. The world says they want justice. But the Bible tells us that justice is birthed from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 17 through 21. That it is Jesus. So when we're talking about the issue of justice, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the one who brings justice. So if people are saying we want justice, you can say, then look to Christ. He is the one who's going to bring justice. Look at the words that Jesus himself says about his work to bring justice. Beginning of verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit within him and he will do what? He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. It is Christ who proclaims justice to the world. And who doesn't just proclaim it? It is Christ who brings justice to victory through his work. And his work to bring justice to victory is what causes the Gentiles, the lost world, to do what? To hope. If you want to give hope to this world, what hope for justice can we give them? Christ. He will bring justice to victory. So any system you set up cannot bring justice to victory. You set up a system that is conservative, will not bring justice to victory. You set up a system that is liberal, it will not bring justice to victory. The only thing that brings justice to victory is not to establish either one of those things. Ultimately, the only thing that brings justice to victory is Jesus Christ and his work. And we can hope in that. That's why we've got to come to the world with the promise of Jesus Christ, with the work of Christ, 
because it's the only thing that can actually bring the thing that they say they want. To proclaim justice, real justice, sin-shattering justice, we must proclaim Christ. Jesus, in the midst of a very unjust society, treating their slaves not as image bearers of God. And what does Jesus say to them? He says, you want justice? I am justice. Victory comes through me. You want to give hope? Hope is found in the name of Christ. If you go to people and their heads are bowed and their hearts are crushed, what do you say to them? You say, there's hope, but not in change legislation, not in a fixed society, because in the end, it will just unbreak itself again on a new issue. The only lasting hope for this world, for the Gentiles, is Jesus Christ. Now, we can fight for just laws, and we should. We can fight against hatred of any image bearer of God, and we should. But that cannot be where our hope is found, and we must only be doing those things in light of what Christ has done. The world is calling you to do something, something that they cannot achieve on their own. And so they want to redefine all the things that we say we want. They want to redefine what love is. They want to redefine what unity is. They want to redefine what justice is. And then they want you to agree to their new definition of all of those things. We know that real justice only comes through the person and work of Christ. And any movement for justice that ignores Jesus or even worse, directly opposes Jesus, is not actually pursuing justice. So as Christians, what must we do? We must be the ones who do proclaim Christ. We must be the ones who do give the hope of the gospel. We must set the foundation of where our answers must come from, knowing the world will not have the answers. The Bible does have the answers. And then we take on that foundation and we proclaim the gospel that in a broken world, the response must be to lament not just the brokenness of the world, but of our own hearts to look at ourselves and call ourselves to turn to God by turning to his son, Jesus Christ, for salvation. The gospel has to be the priority, not just in our thoughts, but on our lips. It's got to be the very first thing we talk about. And it's got to be the thing that drives everything else that we will ever talk about. You never step out of the gospel driving everything that you say. Because if you do, you'll actually be stepping out of justice. You'll actually be stepping out of the channels of hope and back into the deadness of this world. So what can we do? We'll look at three things. One, give the world the gospel. Give the world the gospel. The the world doesn't need us using our voices to give our solution to say, this is what I think is the problem or that there isn't any problem, whatever it is. We can say that we believe the gospel is the answer, but then our talk seems to suggest that we think the answer is something else. We can talk and talk about all the things we think need to happen. And if you look at the conversations that we've had, the things that we've posted, I mean, the world knows we think the answer is doing this or we think the answer is doing that. And we're giving that answer. We can get fired up 
We can get fired up about all the horrible issues of race and talk about these things and share our feelings on the answers to these questions and we know this needs to be reformed and that. Where there's no doubt where we stand on those issues. But people would have to comb our Facebook or our conversations with a fine-tooth comb to find the last time that we proclaimed to the world our position on Christ. We will share every article by everybody that we think is answering this or that, and here it is. But people would have to search and search and search to, to see us ever say, you know the answer? The world needs to repent and turn to the Lord. There's no Facebook splurge about how great our God is or how Jesus is the answer to all the world's problems. I mean, think about it. When is the last time when something happened, you just posted, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. We've got to make sure that we answer the world's problems with what the world needs to hear. We've got to give them the gospel. That's the only hope. And for the church, that must be our first answer. So give them the gospel if you're going to give them anything. You can even go back and look at your Facebook posts and delete everything that wasn't gospel, right? Uh, and, and then just start posting scripture, passages, calling people, urging people, turn to the Lord. That's our only So give them the gospel. But then the second thing I'd tell you is make sure you are giving them the gospel. Meaning this, we can talk about that the world needs to hear the gospel. And we can say the only thing that's going to change the world is the gospel. But then we never actually go to anybody and share the gospel with them. We get so tied up in what's wrong with the world and what's wrong about how the world is handling things that we fail to actually talk to anybody in a real way about what needs to be said. We don't, we, we don't want to loudly say that the world is just giving us a bunch of wrong answers. We don't want to be loud about that and say that you've got cultural Marxism, you've what you do, you've got uh, racism, you've got sensuality, you've got sin, you've got all these false answers from the world. We don't want that to be the only thing that people hear from us and never do they hear from us the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to be sure that we're giving people the gospel. I mean, we've, if, you, if we want the world to be changed, if we want to see God's kingdom advance, then we need to not just talk to the world out there about things. We need to get to our neighbors and talk to them about Christ. I mean, if they're, if they're, they're, they're looking at their TVs and asking the question, did you hear what happened in this city with these people? And they need us to step into their living rooms and say, Yeah, I did. And you know what? Unless you repent, you'll too perish. But we don't do that. We'll we'll bring them cookies. And we'll make small talk. But we do not. I mean, think about, like, just even think about it. Think about if you did that. How awkward would that be? Right? And yet, if we're thinking about Luke 13, we need to be, the awkwardness needs to be, why am I not doing that? Why can I see Jesus do that and give me the example of that in scripture? And then he does it again with the tower. How can I see all of that? And yet for me, that's no, not yet. No, not, no. I got to earn some capital with them. Or we feel like, oh, that, that probably would be not loving. Well, do it in a loving way. Repent. Right? 
I mean, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be like, repent. You know, you're not coming in in some sort of priestly attire. You know, ringing a, a Catholic gong bell or something. Just come in and say, hey, yeah, this world is broken. But are you living for the Lord? Because if you're not, maybe that will happen to you next. That's the gospel that changes people. They don't need you to sit around and talk about for the next 30 minutes all the ways, the different things you think about who's going to handle it or who's not handling it or who's the problem or who's not the problem. And, and we've talked to people about those things for hours. And how often have we talked to them about, you know who the real answer is? Christ and until we repent. It's just going to keep happening. We don't ever get there. So let me tell you, make sure, yes, you know the gospel is the answer. You know that. So give them the gospel. We've got to make sure that the gospel is the answer that we're giving, that we ask if they're, if they're living for God or not. We've got to wield the sword of the gospel in the battlefield that the Lord has given us. He has placed us as his soldiers in our neighborhoods, in our homes. Don't just talk about what's the right sword and what's not the right sword. Wield the sword. What Gentile lives next door to you? Wield the sword of the gospel. Don't just sheathe it or put it on your mantle and be like, man, I'm glad I've got that sword. Take the sword of God's word because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. So go and make disciples. That's what we're supposed to do. Give them the gospel. And the last thing I'd say is Christian, give yourself the gospel. Your only hope is what God has done in you through Christ. You don't get it because you've always gotten it and the rest of the world doesn't get it. You only get it because God has been gracious to you. He has taken your dead heart and made it alive. So remind yourself of that so that any pride in you would be instantly killed. Because one thing that happens when you start to debate people about problems of this world and you get out of the gospel is you get mad really fast. And you are, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed that people in the world have gotten mad about things lately. I don't know if you think that's all COVID, but it's not. So come to all of these conversations with the humility that comes in the gospel. God, it was your grace that saved me. So it doesn't matter how crazy I think this person across the street is. If you want to save them, you can take their dead heart and make it alive. You can have confidence. You don't need to go around and say, well, who are the good people that would want me to share the gospel with them? You can do that, but you'll find there are no good people that want you to share the gospel with them. There are only people that God is changing their heart or not changing their heart. Your job is to go and wield the sword, either their salvation or their condemnation, but wield it. So remind yourself, that's, that's who you were. And also remind yourself of the gospel in this way. Christ is one. Christ, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Jesus said uh, that we are not to be discouraged, but to take heart because he has overcome the world. In 1 John, John tells his, uh, those young men and those old men that they are to take heart, that they have overcome the evil one. Why? Because God's word abides in them. So take heart. Do not be afraid. The word of God abides in you. You don't need to fear this world. Remind yourself of the gospel. You're not wrong. You're not stupid. You're not crazy. You're saved. You're saved. But the one who saved you, can also go and save your neighbors, your children, your friends. So go with confidence. 
in this world is Christ's. We are his disciples. So go and share the gospel, the same gospel that saved you. Let's pray.